From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz, and happy tax day. Kind of, sort of, not really. The phrase, do more with less, is one no employee ever wants to hear. But at the IRS, it's been kind of the mantra for the past decade or so. Congress has been slashing the agency's budget for a while now, with a few modest bumps in recent years, though not enough to make up the lost ground. This has been going on ever since the agency got itself ensnared in several political conflicts during the Obama years. But these years of anemic funding for the IRS may be about to change. Joe Biden unveiled the first budget proposal of his new presidency late last week, and it contained a more than $1 billion boost for the IRS above its current budget. Biden's proposal specifically pinpointed tax enforcement as an area that he wants to get much, much more federal funding. Of course, this is just the president's proposal. Congress will have the final say over how much money the IRS actually gets in the coming fiscal year. But despite that, we thought it would still be worth it to talk about the agency's funding levels, why they got cut, what that meant, and what it would mean to see them restored. To do that, we rang up a guy who knows what it's like to lead an agency facing significant budget cuts. John Koskinen was the commissioner of the IRS from 2013 to 2017. During that time, the agency shed about 20% of its workforce and has lost even more manpower since he left. Bloomberg tax reporter Allison Versprill spoke with Koskinen earlier this morning about what the IRS would do if Congress agrees with the president and gives it more money, and also about why Congress started slashing the agency's funding in the first place. Uh, a lot of people attribute it solely to the argument about the alleged uh, targeting of conservative groups that wanted to become tax exempt. But if you look at it, the budget started to be uh, held firm and then cut uh, as early as 2010, really in response to the Affordable Care Act. And people discovered that the IRS had a major responsibility for implementing the back end of the Affordable Care Act. And so uh, during the term of my uh, commissionership, uh, we had about a billion dollars we had to spend on IT to do all of the complicated work. And every year in the appropriation, that got zeroed out. So we had to find, a, in effect, over three or four years, a billion dollars elsewhere. And as I tried to explain to the appropriators, uh, we don't have any, didn't have any choice about doing statutory mandates like the Affordable Care Act or running the filing season. So the only discretionary areas are taxpayer service and enforcement. And so the way, only way the IRS can deal with the decline over time of about a billion dollars in its budget was simply not to replace people when they left. And that meant that I started with about 100,000 employees, and by the time I left, there were about 80,000, and they're now 75,000. And in that same time period from 2010 to today, there were about 15 million more taxpayers, in addition to the other responsibilities people keep giving to the IRS. So the net result is you have an agency that's significantly understaffed. The irony of that is that no one, even the most vigorous attackers of the agency and the Freedom Caucus ever disputed the fact that if you give the IRS more money, it'll give you more money back. As I told an appropriation hearing one year, I said, you know, we're the only agency that does that. And nobody's quite been able to explain why it makes any sense uh, to deprive your revenue arm of resources to allow it to collect the resources that you need. Right. Well, and so, you know, now obviously we have the, the Biden administration who is proposing a pretty substantial funding increase. Um, if adopted, it would increase the baseline budget for fiscal fiscal year 2022 by 1.2 billion uh, to 13.2 billion. 
It would also provide an additional $417 million for tax enforcement. Can you talk a little bit about what the IRS could do with that money? And as a former commissioner, how would you recommend the agency prioritizes the funds it gets? Well, it would be a sea change, obviously, because for the first time, the budget would be above where it was uh, 12 years ago in 2010. Uh, The first thing you would do uh, if you were the IRS is start to replace some of those people who left. As I used to always say, you don't need to rebuild the agency back to 100,000 because there have been efficiencies built in and the agency has worked continually uh, to become more effective in its tax uh, compliance work. But there clearly is a huge gap both in taxpayer service and in enforcement. Uh, The uh, revenue agents, officers, criminal investigators are down by, uh, you know, depends on whom you ask, but uh, thousands of people. And as a result, the audit rate is down by about 50% across the board. But also, if you've ever tried to get a hold of the IRS on the phone, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, Last year, I gather something like 25, uh, less than 30% of calls went through. And that's not because the IRS doesn't care. There's a great commitment to taxpayer service. Uh, by the workforce, which is uh, one of the best workforces I've ever worked with. It's just there aren't enough people (laughs) answering the phone. So I think the um, challenge has been the decline in personnel, so the additional funding would significantly help reverse that problem. The other use of the funding is to continue to modernize and update uh, the information technology system. Uh, I used to say when I was there, the goal is not to create something brand new that nobody's ever seen before. It's simply to give taxpayers the same ability to deal with the IRS that they have now to deal with their bank and financial uh, institutions. So you ought to be able, if you want to, and are interested in doing it that way, you ought to be able to transact all your business with the IRS online. And that would mean that the only people calling in would be people who had a special need to talk to somebody in the IRS or the small percentage of people who just aren't comfortable. Uh, with information technology. The one caveat is that, particularly with revenue agents, officers, and IT employees, is you have to first find them, recruit them, hire them, and then train them. So you're not magically overnight going to see a significant change. Those on the phones can be trained in a shorter period of time. The estimate is it takes a year or two before a revenue agent uh, is up to speed. But the call center employees can be trained in a matter of months, so you could see a significant uptick in customer service with the additional funding. Well, and so that kind of gets to uh, my next question. So what challenges would you expect the IRS to continue facing even with a higher budget? So I know one of the main issues I always hear from the agency is that the IRS is losing, um, you know, its most experienced employees who would then train kind of these new people coming in uh, to retirement each year. And that doesn't seem like something you can really fix overnight. Well, it's a problem I always worried about. I called it the baby bust, because if uh, for several years you don't replace people who leave, those are primarily people retiring who take that expertise with them when they leave. And if for five or eight years you don't hire anybody, uh, you have this big gap where you simply haven't hired anybody and trained them in that five to six, eight year period. So that'll be a challenge. But again, if there are resources available and there is a more positive view of the IRS, my sense is a lot of discretionary retirements will be delayed. Uh, Because as I say, I've spent 20 years in the private sector and 25 years in the public sector. And this is as dedicated a workforce, as good a workforce as I've ever worked with. So my sense is there's a great dedication to mission 
and people will do whatever it takes to make sure that those new people are appropriately trained and able to move into those positions. But without the resources and without hiring those new, new people, you're continuing to build that baby bust and the years in which you just don't have anyone uh, that can move into positions of uh, leadership and responsibility in the agency. And so what would you predict it would take, or I guess how many years really, or, or how much funding over kind of a sustained period of time would it take to really turn the agency around and start seeing some improvements? Well, I think you would see improvements in the very short term immediately with, as I say, uh, taxpayer service and responses on the phone. Uh, people would be able to get in. One of the goals we had was to give you the opportunity to get a callback time, uh, which is a fairly straightforward technology, except we, the IRS, had an antiquated phone system. She so had to replace the entire phone system to be able to do that. And I don't think they've quite been able to do that. But if you could do that, uh, you could complete the work on what I call the enterprise case management system. So whenever you did call, whoever you talked to who was authorized would know everything about your background, who you had talked to, when you had called, the documents you had exchanged. That's almost impossible to do with uh, over 60 different case management systems the agency has. So I think you would see an immediate turnaround there. I think the audit rate would start to go up again immediately. Some of the people you would hire or bring back would be more experienced and would be able within six to 12 months uh, to be able to effectively uh, start to operate. And clearly, uh, for information technology, uh, over a two to three year span, I think you would be able to see significant improvements in the effectiveness and operations in IT. And as I say, uh, ultimately you'd be able to have taxpayers just dial up the IRS on their computer uh, file returns, get information about uh, uh, any questions the IRS had, exchange documents back and forth, uh, receive notices from the IRS on their email account, and uh, it would make uh, uh, tax paying is never quite pleasant, but it would make it less painful. Well, and you and you did mention audits, and obviously one of the main focuses of the current administration is to increase audits of wealthy individuals and corporations. Um, can you maybe elaborate more on some of the challenges the IRS has faced in auditing those taxpayers in recent years? And do you think it makes sense uh, for this to be, you know, one of the top priorities, if not not the top priority for the agency moving forward? Well, clearly, uh, you want to make sure you're auditing regularly everybody across the income spectrum. Uh, but it is, I think, most aggravating to people to feel that those wealthy taxpayers or large corporations are not paying their fair share. So I think for compliance overall and for confidence in the tax system, uh, everyone has to be comfortable that everyone else is paying their fair share. Uh, so I do think that the increase in enforcement resources uh, will be uh, deployed appropriately and the IRS will pick up a lot of the audits that uh, they know need to be done. There simply haven't been enough people to do them. The only concern I have or risk is if you say you have to use all of the resources we're going to give you to audit just wealthy people or large corporations, because you need to feel comfortable if you're a taxpayer that you're being audited because of something in your return. You're not being audited because who you are. And there have been some discussions of, well, you have to audit 50% of wealthy people over $10 million or a million dollars, whatever it is. And the problem also, in addition to that, in addition to feeling that, well, I'm only getting audited because I have a lot of money, is that the IRS has always been appropriately sensitive to what they call the no change rate. They don't want to waste taxpayers' time and they don't want to waste their time 
by auditing people where there is no issue and you simply put everybody through the uh, routine. And so to say you absolutely have to audit this number of people means that you run the risk that some of those people aren't going to have an issue and you're going to tie them up in their accountants and their tax preparers and you're going to tie up revenue agents and officers on a case that doesn't need to be reviewed. So I think the increased resources for enforcement are important. I think encouraging and making sure the IRS is adding those enforcement resources where they are needed across the board, and that will include high-income uh, taxpayers and corporations. But specifically stating we want you to audit this number of people or this percentage of people in this category, I think, uh, will be a mistake. Well, and kind of staying on this uh, enforcement theme, I know IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick has said the current tax gap, um, which for anyone listening at home, that's the difference between what taxpayers owe and what they actually pay on time. Uh, he said that could exceed $1 trillion per year uh, based on what he's seen. I'm, I'm wondering if you would agree with that figure uh, based on what you experienced while you were at the agency and what's made that number jump up so high in recent years? Well, even at the historic rate of the tax gap in the 350 to $450 billion a year, as the famous Everett Dirksen saying goes, at this point, you're into real money. One thing you have to understand about the tax gap is some portion of the non-collectability is because people simply can't afford to pay. Uh, they're in bankruptcy, uh, they're uh, struggling, and they're going to pay whatever they can, but it's not going to be the full amount. Uh, the bigger problem is people who are avoiding taxes, and that's where the appropriate focus is. Uh, historically, the numbers show if the IRS has third-party information and withholding, the compliance rate is about 98%. If you don't have the withholding, but you got the third party information, the compliance rate is about 92% because now you got to go out and find people in the money. If you have neither third party information nor withholding, the compliance rate is in the 50% range. And that's where the tax gap arises. So more enforcement resources will help. But ultimately, what you need is more third party information. Uh, Charles Rosati, a former commissioner, has been doing a lot of detailed work on the tax gap and has proposed that what we need to do for wealthy individuals, but particularly for large corporations, is get third-party information from banks about the activity in their accounts. So you could see uh, money flowing in and out, and you would have, in effect, what he calls a 1099 new, but it would be the equivalent of the 1099s, K1s, W2s that we already have. And as I say, if you could get additional third-party information, you would increase compliance significantly. One of the reasons the tax gap, had, the estimate, and Charles is making an estimate, has leaped is because you have increased significantly the number of people operating without third-party information. So you have uh, Uber and Lyft drivers, you have people renting their houses out as Airbnb uh, as they move along, and you have uh, cryptocurrencies where people are obligated to pay tax when they've made uh, a transaction and there's a capital gain. But with the billions and trillions of dollars uh, flowing through the system, in the absence of third-party information, it's pretty hard to track down uh, who's paying appropriately and who's not. But if you had uh, the companies for Uber and Lyft providing the drivers with uh, 1099s because uh, they maintain they are contractors, not employees, uh, otherwise they'd get W-2s. And the same with Airbnb and other people renting houses. If you rented through a system, if that system sent you a 1099 saying these are your revenues for the year and shared that with the IRS, you could show your expenses, but the IRS would have a pretty good idea how much money you're making. And the same with cryptocurrencies. There are uh, 
vehicles that are uh, transacting and assisting in those transactions. And if the and you could set floors above fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever you thought was reasonable. Uh, transactions above that amount would end up at the end of the year with a 1099 to the person doing the transaction and a 1099 to the IRS. That's a no, it's a good point. Uh, well, let's end on a forward looking note here. So there seems to be some bipartisan support for higher funding. Uh, you know, we've seen modest increases for the agency over the, under, over the last few years under a Republican administration. Um, but you've been on Capitol Hill, you've interacted with lawmakers. I'm curious to get your thoughts on whether you think the agency will still face some hurdles, maybe getting this full request. Um, and do you have any recommendations on, you know, how the IRS can really advocate for why it, it needs this big of a, of a hike? Well, you're right. Uh, getting, it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to get the appropriation through uh, the Congress. But I do think, as you note, over the last three or four years, there's been a much more uh, if not totally positive, at least steady uh, view of the IRS. And I think the basic thing that Congress has begun to understand is this age-old fact that if you give more money to the agency, you're going to get significant amount more money back. And people only dispute what the ratio is, whether it's three or four times, eight or ten times the amount you provide. But it's clear that the agency uses its money efficiently, that if you increase it, it's going to, in fact, provide more tax revenues to the government. It already collects over $3.5 trillion. And as I say, if you did some of the third-party work that I've uh, talked about in terms of information and increased the revenue agents, officers, and criminal investigators, you're talking about adding anywhere from a trillion and a half to uh, $3 trillion over the 10-year period. So I don't think it's a question of, gee, we're going to increase the deficit by giving the IRS money. We're going to actually lower the deficit by giving the IRS money. And in this day where people are starting to say, we have a pretty big deficit and debt out there, uh, I think there's going to be a growing consensus and support uh, for increasing uh, the funding for the IRS. There will be an appropriate focus on, all right, we're going to give you the money. What are you going to do with it? But the IRS, again, has been working on this problem for 10 or 12 years and has very detailed plans. It has a very good plan for IT over three to five years. It's got a very detailed plan for improving customer service, uh, bringing uh, taxpayers into, uh, I always say we just bring them into the late 20th century, not even into the 21st century. Uh, so there are detailed plans out there as to how the money would be spent. And the easiest thing to understand is adding more employees, both in customer service, revenue agents, revenue officers, and criminal investigators. That was former IRS Commissioner John Koskinen speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Allison Brisbrill. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about this or any of the other amazing stories that we do, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz, with special help today from Rachel Daigle. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. We chanted, we work, we work, and then we hit a gong. We'll take you inside the company with interviews from people who helped build WeWork and exclusive tapes of internal meetings. None of us want to look back and say, I could have done more. This could have been bigger. This couldn't have been better. That's not acceptable. You do not get a chance like this again. None of us do. This is a new podcast from Bloomberg Technology called Foundering. 